All right, if you need a Bible this morning, please raise your hand. Uh, if you need a pen, hold up a couple fingers. The ushers will get that to you. And guys, we are, as you all know, we're in the middle of a series on prayer where we are learning how to interact with our unseen God. And last week we dealt with some hindrances, hindrances to our prayer life that, that uh, seem to aid in our avoidance of prayer. And last week we talked about three of them. Uh, and the first one was prayer is boring, so we stay away from it. Second was, you know, we, it's hard to keep focus. So we just, I mean, I can't stay focused in prayer. So we avoid it. And then the third one was, you know, I always feel like I show up, but God doesn't show up. And so why should I even pray if God's not going to show up? And so, you know, we, we avoid prayer with that. And we talked about how these three hindrances to our prayer life really come from our experience of prayer, of what we think prayer is. And a lot of times our experience of prayer is plain and simply not prayer. Prayer is a dialogue, okay? Um, dialoguing with God about what we're doing together. Our type of prayer is a monologue telling God what we, what we want him to do for us. And so those are two very different exercises. And so we ended up the sermon last week saying, hey, don't make a judgment on something simply because you failed to experience it incorrectly. And clearly, most of us have not experienced prayer correctly. So how can we say it's boring? How can we say that it's hard to stay focused? How can we say that God's not going to show up if we actually haven't, you know, practiced prayer correctly? And so today, you know, that hopefully last week that helped us kind of get our heads around that. Well, today we're going to look at a couple more hindrances to prayer, things that seem to keep us away from the dialoguing with God. And... Uh, the first thing, the first one I want to address is one that quite a few people talked to me about. They got back to me about, this is, this is where I struggle. And, and this was their hindrance. They said, I avoid prayer because I, I don't feel worthy approaching a holy God. In other words, because of sin in your life, you find it very difficult to face God. How can I talk to God about what we're doing together if I've done something to offend him? It just doesn't feel right, man. It just feels awkward if I get around him and I feel uneasy because I feel like God is looking down on me. It's kind of like, remember when you were a kid and you did something bad and you had to be around your parents and it was just awkward, just like, oh, they're looking down on me. It was just, you didn't like it. I remember when I was a senior, I graduated from high school, and I went to the uh, graduation party that the school put on. It was that night after the graduation. And uh, just a little background about me and my you know, upbringing, I grew up kind of in a Baptist sort of background. And the Baptist background is very, very conservative, okay? I mean, ultra conservative. Dancing was a huge no-no. You didn't dance. Anybody grow up with me, kind of like that with me? Yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. You just didn't dance. That was like one of the forbidden sins. In fact, the joke is, you know, you know why uh, Baptists uh, don't believe in premarital sex? Because it may lead to dancing, and you just don't want that. So that's a big joke. So that's what I, I grew up in that sort of setting, and so I went to this graduation party, and, and guess, what was, guess what was at the graduation party? A big dance. And so I'm there, and there's this girl there, and she's like, Luke, come out and dance with me. Come out. And I'm like, no, I don't dance. I don't know how to dance. I feel stupid dancing. I'm not going to dance. And my friends are like, come on out and dance. And I'm like, ah, I, don't, I don't know. Well, midway through the night, I'm like, you know what? It's not going to hurt. My parents aren't going to know. I'm going to go out there, and I'll just have fun dancing. I don't know what I'm doing, but I, I danced. And didn't think nothing of it until about two or three weeks later, my mom came up to me. She said, Lukey, did you, did you dance at that graduation party? 
And I knew it was busted. I'm like, how would she even know this? What's going on? So I'm like, well, I mean, I wouldn't call it dancing. I mean, it's just kind of swaying to the music a little bit, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, why do you ask me? And she's like, well, I saw somebody at the store and they said that you were dancing at the party. And so, man, I was busted. And so that was like horrible, okay? And so being around my parents during that time frame was just the most awkward thing. I mean, my mom's like, oh, Lukey, you broke my heart. How could you do that? I can't believe that you would do that. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Mom. And at the dinner table, you're just like, you couldn't look at their eyes. And they're like, you passed the potatoes, dancer boy. And you're like, okay. You know, it's just... It's just bad. It's not like you want to go, hey, Dad, let's go work on the car together, huh? You know, you don't want to dialogue with Dad. You just want to avoid him. Well, that's what we do with God. Prayer is dialoguing with God about what we're doing together. Well, I'm not sure I want to do anything together with God today because I just feel bad. It's going to be awkward. It's very uncomfortable. I just kind of feel like he's looking down at me. And so out of guilt, we avoid God. Anybody ever been there before? Anybody? Yeah. I'm sure all of us have. But guys, here, here's what you need to hear. Here's the dangerous part about that whole thing. The enemy loves it when we avoid God. He loves it. And you know what? The crazy thing is, is that the enemy tries to play both sides of the coin with this. Have you ever noticed this in your life? The enemy, you know, he overwhelms you with the guilt of your sin while telling you that God wants nothing to do with you. So you're over here and you're, he's just like, man, you really blew it. That was terrible. I can't believe you. You're just a horrible person. You're like, oh my God, I just feel terrible. And you, you're just wallowing in this guilt. And you're like, maybe I should go to God about it. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa you don't want to go to God about that. No, I mean, he, he's mad at you. He doesn't want to talk to you. He's against you. And so you're like, oh man. And so you, you wallow in your guilt some more. He's like, yeah, you really are a bad, horrible person. I can't believe you'd even do that. And you're like, maybe I should go to God about it. No, you don't, you don't want to go to God about that. He's a horrible, he's mad at you. And so it's this back and forth thing. And the more that happens, the longer that happens, the longer you let it happen, you will find that you will drift further and further and further away from God. And during that time of drifting, you know, you know how it is, you, you, you sin more and more and again and again, and, and it becomes such a snowball to such, to such a place where you just start thinking, you know what, I don't know if I should even bother coming back to God. He must be so mad at me right now that I can't face God. How am I ever going to stand, you know, in the face of his holiness? He's just going to point out all my faults. You know, if I, if I walk in the door, he's going to go, oh, well, looky who decided to show up. Mister, I did this, I did this, I did this. I mean, three minutes, so you did this, and you, you have the gall to come in and walk here and talk to me? Don't let the door hit you on the way out. That's what we think. And that's the enemy's whole plan. He wants you to think that God wants nothing to do with you. And you want to know why? Because the enemy is out to steal, he's out to kill, and he's out to destroy. And he wants to do all three of those things to your relationship with God. And so your avoidance to God plays right into that because the enemy tries to put as much space between you and God that he can. And he uses his lies to do it. And he tries to convince you and manipulate you. You see, we think that God keeps a record of our sin. We think that he tabulates, he's kind of like, uh-huh, there's one. Yep, okay, we got that. And he's just marking them all down. He's got this long list of all we got. But, but here's the, the truth, Whitestone. Here's what the enemy does not want you to know. You need to pay attention to this. Look at what this scripture says. 
If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Look at that. Even the psalmist understands our inability to stand before God. He says, God, seriously, I mean, if you kept a record of sin in everyone's life, we'd all be toast. Who could stand? We'd all be found guilty, and we'd all have to face judgment. But look at the remaining part of that verse. It's awesome. But with you, God, with you, God, there is what? There's forgiveness. With you, God, there's forgiveness. And you see, that's what the enemy wants to keep you from. That's what the enemy wants to keep you from seeing. With God, there is forgiveness. Our God is a forgiving God. Amen? Amen. Now look at these verses. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from him. And you know what, guys? The enemy hates those words. He hates those words. He does not want you to know these words. With God, there is forgiveness. And he will take those sins and he will put them as far as the east is from the west. You see, our enemy doesn't want you to know that our God is a God of mercy abundant mercy. Look how much his mercy is. He doesn't want you to know this. The steadfast love of our Lord never ceases. His mercies, what? Never come to an end. I love this next phrase. Look at what it says. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's mercies are new every morning. Every morning they're brand new. Amen. I mean, God's mercy is not like man's mercy. Man's mercy eventually runs out. I mean, if there's like a picture, it's like, okay, I'll give you a little more. I'll show you some more mercy. All right, we're done. All done. It's not how it is with God. God pours out his mercy on us. Mercy on us, and we think, man, that picture's got to be getting empty. Well, guess what? The next morning, what's up with that picture? It's full again. He's dumping his mercy on us. The next morning, it's full again. He's dumping his mercy on us. His mercy is new every morning. Amen? I love that. I love that because I sometimes feel like my sin is new every morning. And so I desperately need his mercy. So how do we face God when we've sinned against him? What do we do? I mean, do, do we go to a priest? Do we go to our time of confession and, and he tells us what to do to try to kind of earn you know, forgiveness back? I mean, what do we do? Well, I'm going to tell you this. The answer to that question needs to be found in Scripture. So I'm going to read you a verse that I've quoted before, but this is a, an incredible verse, and I think we need to learn from it today. It says this in Hebrews 4.16. He goes, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Now let's just let's look at what that's saying. Let us. Who's us? You and me. Let us. That includes you and me. Let us approach the throne of grace. Who sits on the throne of grace? Let us approach the throne of God with what? Confidence. 
Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. We don't need a priest. We don't need a pastor. We don't need anyone. You want to know why? We have Jesus. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. He is our faithful high priest. He did what was necessary to allow us to be able to approach the throne of grace with confidence. To receive what? Mercy. Mercy in our time of need. Now, I know there are some of you who are sitting here and you're like, man, I don't know. I, I really don't think it's, it's a good idea for me to come boldly into the throne room of God because I don't think mercy is going to be on the table. I think it's going to be the wrath of God on the table. And I, don't, I just don't think it's a wise idea for me to do that. And all I can say is I understand that kind of thinking. I truly do. But something you need to understand is that humility in the presence of God, elicits a response from God is, that is absolutely beautiful and precious. Jesus told this story. He was talking about prayer. He says there was this, this uh, Pharisee that came into the temple to pray, and he stood there with his, facing the heavens with his arm outstretched, going, God, I'm so glad that I'm not like that sinner over there. I'm so glad that, you know, I fast twice a week. I give, you know, to the needy. I do all these things. And I'm just, God, I just thank you that I am the man I am. And then over on this side was a tax collector. And you got to understand, tax collector, they're like IRS agents. They're, they're the bottom of the barrel. Everybody hated them. <laughs> they cheated. They, they stole. They were people. They were bottom of the whole, you know, thing. And, and here is a tax collector. And he doesn't even look up into the heavens. He can't bear to look up into the heavens. And he falls flat on his face. And he says, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He humbly just cries out to God and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus asks the question. And he goes, guess who went home justified that day? The Pharisee or the tax collector? What do you think the answer is? It's the tax collector. You want to know why? Because in humility he came to God. And he simply was real. Humility elicits a response of love and mercy from God. God's word says that God opposes the proud. He stiff arms the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And now, as I said, guys, the enemy doesn't want us to know this. He doesn't want people to know the forgiving heart of God, and so he tries to keep people away you know, with his lies and his manipulation. But the truth is, God responds so lovingly to those who humbly come before him, laying bare their faults and admitting their sins. He's such a loving, forgiving father. Let me show you a verse that's my favorite in coming to God in my sinfulness. It's found in 1 John 1.9. If this verse is not highlighted in your Bible, make sure you highlight it and circle it because it needs to be your verse. It says this, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from how much unrighteousness? All. How much does that leave out? Nothing. He wipes it clean. We come before him and we say, God, your word says that I shouldn't do this and I did it anyways. I sinned against you. I, I sinned against you and I'm sitting here and I'm guilty and I'm so sorry. 
And we claim by faith, knowing that God is working in the unseen realm, that God is is forgiving our sin. He's wiping away our sin. He's cleansing us from all unrighteousness. And you know what, guys? Here's the great thing. He keeps no record of it. He keeps no record. He doesn't hold our sins against us. He doesn't say, again, seriously? It hasn't been 24 hours. And you're coming to me again? No, in the kingdom of God, you need to understand that forgiveness is part of the atmosphere. It's part of the culture. With God, there is forgiveness. Maybe not with man. Man may hold a grudge for a long time. Man may never forgive you. Or, you know what man does? They, they may forgive you, but they, they still always like to bring it up, don't they? It's like my mom. When this story of the dancing comes up, she's like, oh, Lukey. I just couldn't believe you would do that. My little Lukey just broke my heart. And I just sit there and like, she's probably watching the live stream right now. I'm sorry, mom. (laughs) Sorry again. (laughs) But not God. He keeps no record of wrong. He doesn't hold it against us. He doesn't say, hey, Luke, remember that when, when you messed up? Man, that was pretty bad. Can't believe you did that, bro. Who would have thought you would do that? No, God forgives. He purifies us and he restores our our fellowship with him and then we walk in fellowship with him again. Training to become more and more and more like him where we're sinning less and less. That's the goal. That's what fellowship with God does. You know, it's a little bit like this analogy. I think this is a good one. I'm going to pull this out into the light. But if this upper line right here is fellowship... And this line down here is out of fellowship, okay? So I'm just going to do acronym OOF, okay? (laughs) Where do we want to be? In fellowship, right? Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying if you're up here, you have salvation. If you're down here, you've lost salvation. I'm talking about fellowship. I'm talking about relationship. When we've sinned against God, there's a break in that relationship. It's not just this, you know, hey, God, you know, it's it's not freedom. There's a break in that fellowship. And so we want to be up here. But when we sin, there is a break in that fellowship. We're out of fellowship with God. Now, here's what, where we struggle as human beings. A lot of times in, in our relationship, what we think is, oh, man, I really screwed up. I probably just got to wallow down here for at least a week and pay my dues and try to just, you know, face the heat of what I'm doing. And then maybe I'll come to God and ask for his forgiveness and then slowly work my way back up to fellowship. That's how we think, because that's, that's our human thinking. But according to 1 John 1, 9, when we sin, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what happens to our fellowship? We're right back up here. We're walking with God in fellowship. And this is where we want to be. If we sin again, we go down here. Don't hang around and wallow. Confess your sin. Admit your fault. Realize you're wrong. Confess it and go back up here. Be in fellowship with God. Okay? Now, I think a lot of times we just think, we got to stay down here and, and wallow in this. No, God wants us in fellowship. That's why Christ died, so that we could have fellowship with God. Amen? Amen. Now, 
This is what so many of our Christian lives look like. Down here, down here, down here, down here, and we're like, okay, well, Luke, thank you for this. This is good. That's a different series, okay? Now, it is something important we need to talk about, but it's a different series. What I want you to see, though, is don't just wallow down here. Walk in fellowship with God. The enemy wants you down here. God wants you up here. Amen? Okay. So if that's you, where you find it hard to come to God because the guilt of your sin prevents you and you think God may be mad at you and you think, you know, he's just against you, man, you need to cling to these. I hope you wrote down those verses because you need to meditate on those verses. You need to soak up those verses. I'd encourage you to memorize those verses or hang them up in prominent places in your house. Don't let the enemy play his games with you. Cling to God's truth and receive God's forgiveness. He, he's longing for you to come to him, guys. He's, he's longing for you to be in fellowship with him. That's one of my favorite parts of the story of the prodigal son. That son who left his father, took all of his riches, went out to some place and squandered it and lived a life of just sinful debauchery. And his life tanked so bad, he's sitting there, he's like, what am I doing? I should at least go back to my father and, and live the life of a slave. At least he'll accept me back as a slave. And so he went back home. And in Scripture, in the passage, it says that the father saw him from afar off. What was the father doing? Looking for him. And it says he ran out to him and embraced him. That's where your father is. He's looking for you. And he's going to run out to you and embrace you. He's not, he's not going to just judge you and hold you at arm's length. He's going to embrace you. And you need to know that. He truly desires this with you. We have one more hindrance today. And by the way, just to give you a heads up, um, in two weeks, I know I said two weeks of hindrances, but there's this one big one we got to cover, and it's going to require an entire sermon. So um, I tried to fit it in this one. It's like, there's just no way. So we're going to entire sermon on that one. But between next week, Pastor Josh is going to speak, and he's going to speak on why we should pray, okay? And I know it's kind of like convoluted, like hindrances to prayer. Why we should pray, back to hindrances to prayer. I know it seems kind of awkward, but you guys have figured out you're brilliant. It won't be that. I'm not worried about it. <laughs> but for today, though, I thought we'd cover something that was mentioned to me by a few people that they find it hard to pray. And these people, just so you know, they're fairly new in their walk with God, and so the idea of prayer is fairly new, and that's fair. And this is what they mentioned was a hindrance. They said, I avoid prayer because I don't know how to pray. I didn't grow up praying. I, I never went to prayer meeting and never prayed before going to bed. I, I don't know anything about prayer, and I feel stupid when I try to pray because I don't know what I'm doing, so I just don't pray. Now, these were several men that told me this, okay? And this is understandable with men because we men... We avoid things we don't understand at all costs, okay? You know what I'm saying, men? We're, we're just like that. If we don't understand something, we'd rather just steer clear of it. You know, I don't want to even talk about it. So you wives, where your husband has been kind of like avoiding you, it's because he doesn't understand you, okay? He doesn't. I'm just kidding. You, women are easy to understand. I don't know. It's not an issue. <laughs> Lying in church again. There we go. Oh, seriously, we, we men, we try to avoid things that we don't know about. We, we do not like being in a setting where we don't know something, okay? Like, for instance, this always cracks me up, Bible studies. Men, 
Men don't like Bible studies for that very reason. They're like, I ain't going to go to the Bible study. They ask me a question. I don't know the answer. I mean, that's crazy. And you want to know why men don't like going there? Because they can't say three words. Guess what those three words are? I don't know. Men can't say those words. And when we're in a setting where somebody asks us a question, we don't know the answer. Guess what we'll do? We'll try to make something up. It's the stupidest thing in the world, but we'll try to make something up. And we'll be in a Bible study like, hey, Luke, so why did Jesus need to become a man to die on the cross? Well, I mean, I'm not even sure the question is phrased correctly, but uh, <laughs> there's just a lot of, lot of paths to that question, a lot of ways we could look at that, but... You know, Scripture, there's a lot of metaphors and a lot of similes and stuff and parables. And, and when you look at it, Jesus is just a God of love. And, and so, I mean, that's where I stand on that thing. <laughs> and people in the group are like, that didn't make any sense. That was stupid. And you're sitting there like, oh, that was so stupid. What is that? Oh, I, I hate Bible study. I'm never going to a Bible study again. It's stupid. <laughs> that's what we men are like. It's just, it's just weird. So it was men who told me they didn't know how to pray, so therefore they, didn't, they don't pray. And I get that. I really do. But can I just say this? If you find yourself in that, as fitting that example, I actually think you're further ahead than you actually realize. Because you're not going to have to unlearn something. You can start from scratch. And I actually think that that's bless, a blessing in disguise because I think... Having grown up in Christian, those of us who have grown up in Christianity, I think we've taken on cultural Christian baggage that, that I think has harmed us in a way. I think we've turned prayer into something more than it actually is. We've made it more mysterious than it needs to be, and I think that's harmed us. We've, we've made it kind of like an enigma, you know, and it messes with people. Now, I know these may seem silly, but here's some examples. I mean, it's funny, but when we pray, we kick into a different language. A lot of people kick into a different language. Like, you'll be talking to them, you know, in every day. They'll be like, yo, bro, what's up, man? Yeah, I was just hanging with you, chilling with you the other day. Like, all right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, hearken unto my voice today, whithersoever thou goest. I beckon you to hearken to my pleas today as I fall prostrate before you. And, and the new person in that little prayer meeting is going, I don't know how to talk like that. I'm not going to pray. Please don't call on me to pray because I, I can't talk like that. Or another one is we like to quote scripture in prayer. And, you know, there's nothing bad with quoting scripture. But sometimes, I've been guilty of this, I like to quote scripture to show everybody in the room how much scripture I know. So it's like, Lord... Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. God, I just want to meditate in your law tonight. And the poor new guy is sitting there going, I don't know scripture. I've never memorized anything. I'm not going to pray. Please don't call on me to pray. And another thing that we've done with prayer, I don't know if you paid attention to this, but in looking at this, I think because we've made prayer a monologue where we do all the talking, we've turned it into kind of like a high school term paper. There's an intro, there's a body, and there's a distinct closing, okay? And those of you who have grown up in Christianity, you know all those spots. You've learned the lingo. You've picked it up. You know how to pray the little prayer. And, and so, you know, and, and some people are extremely eloquent with this. They're very good. They'll, they'll take the plane off and be like, dear Heavenly Father, we just want to come to you today. And it's like, boom, the plane is in the air. It was beautiful takeoff. 
And then in the middle of the flight, they're flying the airplane and they're praying the prayer. It's awesome. And then you realize it's time to land the airplane. And they're like, in the precious name of our Heavenly Father of Jesus, the name above all names, amen, plane taxis in and parks. It's beautiful. And the new guy's like, that was awesome. That was awesome. And they're like, hey, Johnny, do you want to pray? And they're like, oh, not uh, sure, I'll try. And so they, you know, they're like, Lord, I'm just, I'm, uh, we're here today. Thank you for today. And everybody in the room is like, well, he kind of took the plane off. You know, he's there. <laughs> and he kind of shakily, you know, flies their plane. And what's funny, new guys, I'm picking on new guys here, but it's so funny because new guys don't know how to land their plane. They don't know the lingo. So it's funny, they'll stumble when it comes to the end of the prayer. They'll be like, so Lord, there it is. I mean, I, if, uh, it, just be with us today. Uh, you're, I'm here, God, and we're all just here. And everybody in the room's like, just land the plane, man. Just land the plane. <laughs> say amen. Just say the word. Say amen and just land it. You can just land it with saying the word. And they don't know what to say. So somebody who's been a Christian a long time ago, amen. Thank you, Johnny. That was really good. I'm like, okay. It was a rescue. Now, guys, please don't think I'm making or mocking prayer. I'm not mocking prayer. I'm mocking what we've made prayer. Because like I said, I think we've made prayer into more than it should be. Because what is our definition? Our definition is dialoguing with God about what we're doing together. Let me ask you a question. Can you dialogue? Can you talk to someone? Then you can talk to God. Plain and simple, prayer is talking to someone who knows you better than you know yourself. Is talking to someone who never leaves you is talking to someone who wants you to experience life to the fullest. He wants to help you learn what you need to learn. Someone who wants to teach you what you need to know. Someone who desires only what is best for you. Prayer is talking to that kind of person. It's talking to someone who is your best friend, even though you may not know it now. No, actually, you know what? It's better than that. It's talking to your best friend who also happens to be your father. Happens to be your father. And you know what? Our Heavenly Father is closer and loves us more and is more perfect than any earthly father ever could be. That's how the conversation is meant to be. And you know who showed us that? Jesus did. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And he said this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Now there is so much we could learn from that statement right there, but all I want to draw from this is that he is Father. Now this would have rocked the minds of the people listening that day. This would have blown their minds. They had no idea that they were invited into that kind of relationship with God. He's Father. He is a perfect, loving, gentle, protecting, holy Father. And I know for some of us that's hard to put on for size because our earthly father was no such thing. Our earthly father was mean and hard and abusing and angry and absent. So that word father, I get it. It can raise the hair on the back of our necks for some of us. It, it sends up red flags. But man, if you can try... Try to bypass that and not filter your heavenly father through the lenses of your earthly father because I tell you, there is no comparison. Our heavenly father 
is beyond perfect, and his love for his children is absolutely precious. It's more than you could ever imagine. Now that verse says, our Father in heaven. Now, most of us, when we read that, we think, our Father, who is in a place millions of miles away. That's kind of what our mind does with it. We're like, heaven? Well, that's a million miles away. But somehow he hears us. I don't know how he hears us, but he's a million miles away. But you want to know where God is? He's here. He's always here. And you want to know where here is? Everywhere. It's the truth. Let me show you. Psalms 139. Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit? Be out of your sight. If I climb to the sky, man, you're there. If I go to the underground, you're there. If I flew on the morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute because you're already there. And then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's, it's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness, light, they're all the same to you. He's everywhere. You know, many scholars believe that a better translation of our Father who art in heaven should actually be our Father in the heavens. Or in other words, our Father who fills every molecule from the farthest solar system to inside my very own lungs. Our Father who already floods this place and fills the atmosphere. Our Father who is closer than the very air we breathe. What I'm trying to get you to see is that our starting point in talking to God is that we're already with Him. In other words, it's not like we have to do something to try to attain his presence like we would humanly. You know, humanly, I'd have to say, hey, Matt, Matt, hey, get your attention. Hey, can we meet for like five minutes after the service? You know, I have to attain my presence with him. I have to get his attention with that. No. We cannot attain the presence of God because we're already totally in his presence. You know what the only thing lacking is? our awareness of it because he's here he's here god is here father is here you get up in the morning father is there you drive to work father is there you get to work father is there you drive back home father is there you you, you go to bed at night father is here father is here our father never leaves us we're always in his presence so the question is, well, how do I talk to him? How do you dialogue with him? The answer is simple. Just like you would any other relationship. Except remember, this relationship is meant to be closer and stronger and more intimate than any other relationship in your life. And when you have that kind of relationship, you're going to talk to them all the time. That's prayer. Talk to him about what you're doing together with him. And guys, there's no formula. There's no form or style that's best. There's no regulations to follow that make you a good prayer. It's simply talking to him as you would be your best friend. Now, I'm going to quickly insert this here because listening is another key part to prayer. And we're going to have to devote an entire sermon to that one. But just know that it's part of this. Prayer is also listening to your best friend who also happens to be your, best, happens to be your father. So guys, in closing, if you find yourself in this scenario, please don't let the hindrance of not knowing how to pray keep you from praying. Especially you men. I know we try to avoid things we don't understand. 
don't let this happen. Learn how to pray. And how do, you, how do we learn how to pray? By doing. By praying. You don't learn how to pray by reading a book. You don't learn how to pray by listening to a sermon. You learn how to pray by praying, by engaging in the practice. And by doing that, like any relationship, you're going to grow in it. So practice. Engage in a conversation with your best friend who also happens to be your father, who also happens to be always with you. Get better and better at it. Amen? Here's our homework. If you've been avoiding prayer because of your past and current failures, man, I want you to take time this week to come to him and humbly confess your sin and receive his forgiveness. I want to see you get back to fellowship. The enemy has held you down here for far too long. And our Father longs to restore fellowship with you. And I'm going to say this too. If you need someone to do this with, sometimes we can get just overwhelmed in this process and we need to walk through it with somebody else. Then find another trusted follower of Christ to walk walk through it with you. And they'll be glad to do that. Because they want you to get there too. To those of you who are new to this, man, I, I don't know how to pray. I'm brand new to this. First thing I can say, man, learn how to practice his presence. I think that's so key. We have to train our mind to be aware of our unseen God who's with us all the time. So practice that. And then talk to him. Tell him about what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're planning, and then practice listening to what he has to say about it. Will you be perfect at it at the beginning? No. But we practice and we learn. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the series. And God, I'm just speaking for myself. Those of us who grow up so, quote unquote, praying all the time, we have so much to learn. And so I pray that you would teach us, you would instruct us, and that I pray that we might become a, a group of men and women who dialogue with you about what we're doing together with you all the time. I pray that that's a reality in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, love you so very, very much. Thank you for letting me do life with you. Um, Let's keep running after Jesus, and I'll see you next Sunday.